Wait, what's what's that I hear in the distance? Is that? Dear readers, it has been some time since we last spoke. I've spent many a long month in isolation, searching the darkest corners of logic and rationality. But I've returned, and it gives me no pleasure to inform you that the chattering classes of this once great nation are at it again. This week, the queen of woke SJW TV, darling of the loony left, Ellen DeGeneres, posted a photo of herself at a Dallas Cowboys football game with former US President George W. Bush. And were the woke Stasi excited to see one of their own extending an olive branch of free and fair debate across the aisle to one of their former opponents? Of course they weren't. It seems that even her years of service in the PC trenches were not enough to save her from the onslaught of accusations of rehabilitating a war criminal. Even when she issued a video clarifying that she, as a person of wealth, was only there to enjoy the company of her wealthy friends and former President Bush just happened to be there, this would not satisfy them either. Are the rich not entitled to a safe space like the rest of us? Is that not the lefty Ramona doctrine that everybody is entitled to be coddled and associate only with their own kind, brackets, except in the toilet? Why cannot wealthy people who have their own problems and lived experience just like the rest of us congregate without fear of judgment and oppression? I'm, I'm sure... On the other hand, that if Mr. Generous had been photographed with a darling of the left, such as Colonel Gaddafi or Saddam Hussein, or dare I say it, Jeremy Corbyn, watching a much less capitalist sport like stoning infidels to death, she would have been praised to high heaven. She would have been showered with cries of what a forward-thinking lady, standing shoulder to shoulder with our multicultural brothers and sisters. So why can we not do this with conservatives? Is conservatism not as valid a belief system as Islam? Why must conservatives be shunned and vilified while Osama bin Laden is adored by the champagne socialists of Islington? <laughs> Preventing our so-called liberal celebrities from engaging with their conservative peers is not merely prescriptive. It is an infringement on every li- liberal value we hold dear. A veritable online Srebrenica in which the victim <laughs> will not be innocent Bosnians, but something far more precious, that most innocent of all victims, freedom of speech. <laughs> As a wise clown known in France as Le Monsieur du Jokes once said, we live in a society. And now, dear reader, it is time to decide what society it is that we want to live in. One of rational discussion and debate, or one in which you turn on the radio and hear the opening bars of Careless Whisper by George Michael. You turn to your steering wheel and see there's no airbag. You flip down the driver's mirror and see that you have a mullet, but your mouth is covered in tape. Your eyes slowly drift to the clock above the tape deck stereo. The date... 1984. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to this free episode of Trash Future, the podcast you're listening to right now. It was very good, I think, to have Brendan back in the studio. I just wish he could have stayed to to come and talk about the rest of this stuff. He had to rush off to an appointment with his head doctor. (laughs) He had to go get get his forehead enlarged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um. Look, it's 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 a it's a plastic surgery that you just get when you're Irish peasant stock. Is that he has like the opposite of a Papua New Guinea witch doctor? Just a big (laughs) forehead full of lip fillers. Just delightful. (laughs) Giant Um, giant head. Um, but. We are we are here today. It's Riley, Milo, and Alice, and we're joined uh, by Nick Cernick. Hello. Nick is the author of books including Inventing the Future, Platform Capitalism, and he's got After Work coming out in 2020, which I assume is a rundown of all the best spots to go for a drink after work. 
Top 20. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's Look, it's, they say it's a book, but it's actually just an article on Londonist that says that you should go to Gordon's Wine Bar. <laughs> we love it. Have you tried the new speakeasy that's opened up on the King's Road? Fuck me. Christ. Is, do you think those are still happening? Yes. Oh, 100%. Yes. Yeah. So, weirdly, they haven't made it to Glasgow yet, and we lag two to five years behind you on everything. So, yeah, as well, soon as idea- we get them, you won't. The idea of alcohol being banned in Scotland is too conceptual. It can't, <laughs> it can't be imagined. Actually, though, on that note, uh, Maddie and I in- on Shoreditch the other night walked past that ball pit bar, and it's closed down. Oh no! Oh, uh, tragedy. Pressing mm, F for man, respects. What are what are how are people going to go be babies now? Are they just yeah. going to have to regress beyond toddler? The adult to- diaper bar. Yeah. <laughs> is it is it ju- is the next bar just going to be like one of those koala care change stations? Yes. <laughs> public that, 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 mm-hmm. That's our business plan for our small business loan. Uh, yeah. After getting your that's our second thing as we diversify. Mm. Yeah, and and with and the alcohol is actually skin like you can absorb it through your skin, and it's served in a gin talcum powder that's just put <laughs> onto your ass, so you get yeah. to feel like a baby again. In the future, every single bar will just be assigned a theme randomly from an incredibly niche and upsetting <laughs> subreddit. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love fully fully automated bar communism. I'm sorry, Fantastic. this this bar is r slash ropes. <laughs> <laughs> that could go any number of ways yeah we're not going to explore what that means uh, however no. we are slash ropes is not what it sounds like and it's no. not good folks we are going to explore uh, a a startup because i found i found a startup folks i, I found a startup and i think we should all invest in it mm. it's called humanity.co <laughs> wow mm. how is are it- they spelling it just regularly like humanity uh yeah, but there is a um. Is there an umlaut a, or something? There's a dash. There's a dash. It's h u dash manity dot c o. Mm. What's our first this impression? Is my, this is my friend Hugh Manity, whose father was a sea cow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what do we think? Uh, I do not think. I have no thoughts. This is a void mm. to me. Um, uh-huh. It sounds like something that um the the, the evil billionaire from The Simpsons uh. The one that Homer goes to work for, what's his name? Scorpio. Hank, Hank Scorpio. Hank Scorpio. It sounds like a business Hank Scorpio would start. That, that's my thought. Okay, yeah, that's that's so far so good. Could you please kill someone on the way out? That would really help me out. <laughs> uh, Nick, any idea? Humanity.co. Uh, n- maybe Huel-based food, you know? You're yeah. so beautifully wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um so one of their quote, one of the the quote on their website is "Know the rules well so you can break them effectively." Dalai Lama. <laughs> Did the Dalai Lama say that? Buy low, sell high. That doesn't sound like saying <laughs> the Dalai Lama. Thomas Aquinas. Michael Always- Scott. Always be closing, John the Baptist. <laughs> Just some really good advice about how to do crimes. Our mission is mm. to assist the world's leading brands. Uh, to be more data-driven by redesigning and transforming the contracting relationship with consumers at a global scale. Are they disrupting the Geneva Convention? They are actually trying to declare a 31st human right. They're trying to disrupt the terms and conditions. (laughs) Yeah, Alice, you're onto it. Amazing. Oh my god, so this is literally, they're disrupting your statutory rights. <laughs> I wasn't joking about the right. crimes thing. It's literally they they have got the Dalai Lama to become an illegalist on their website. I mean, you know, the the the, the Tibetan state was a um theocratic slave state, so mm. maybe. Um Nick, mm. any 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 ideas about how oh, to disrupt the terms and conditions? I have no idea about this one now. 
Humanity.co exists to empower individuals to own their blank as property, and then we fight for and provide the tools to receive fair market value for their blank as an asset. Blood. Uh, what do we- it's got to be data. Come. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. Nick's got it. Uh, I was hoping it was going to be organs. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, usually, actually, per per session, you only generate a couple grams of data. <laughs> the, fi- the five humors, uh, blood, bile, uh, gall, whatever it is, and the data. Yeah, yeah I haven't so- released any data in months. And it's just backing up in there. So humanity.co exists and to empower individuals to own their data as their property. And then we fight for and provide the tools for people to receive fair market value for their data as an asset. Now, if you don't think about this very much, it seems fine. I think, Nick, I, given your area of academic interest, I figured this was perfect for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's an absolutely terrible idea. Um, I mean, basically, the complete marketization of the self, um, you know, sell every piece of yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the other key, key sort of thing is, um, so the Financial Times has this wonderful little uh, app on their website where you can enter in your personal sort of demographic information uh, and you find out how much your data is worth. So I did this and I found out I'm worth um, 17 cents. Um, <laughs> Just being yeah. nagged by the financial yeah, times. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Hum- humanity is trying to get you to get a cut of that. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, mm. okay, look, are there these gigantic companies that are spying on every aspect of our lives and harvesting all of our data so it can be sold in aggregate to the, the, low, the highest bidder? Sure. But also, what if you got like 5p out of it? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it turns out, we- though, that my cum is worth at least $5. So, you know. <laughs> and we I'm can all be rational actors. We can all just like be traders. It's wonderful. This is the thing that we all want. We want to be self-employed. We want to be day traders. And now we can just do that with like our Google results. Awesome. Yeah, like I could make my, what if I Google the stock market a lot, then maybe my data could be worth 25 cents. Mm-hmm. Um, be careful not to Google Venezuela, though, because that'll bring down <laughs> the value of your data. Um, so I'm going to jump into the FAQs here because regular listeners of the show will know the FAQs are always gold because you can think what cues they think are F.A. Yeah, and they're very rarely actually F.A. You can, see. you can see what cues they think are F.A. How does humanity.co make money? The company was founded on a simple principle. We have to help a lot of people first and continue to help them in order to be successful. So it's a non-profit. Oh. No. So it's like Oxfam. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a pro- it's very much a for-profit company. For just mm. £2 a month, you can help someone sell their hentai preferences <laughs> to like Amazon Web Services. That's, that's such an unsuspicious thing. How do you make money? Eh, don't worry about it. <laughs> How do we make money? We make money by helping them and then continuing to help people. <laughs> I tell you what, it's not to do with anything in that basement, so you won't need to look in there. <laughs> that room labeled crimes, actually crimes is an acronym. Oh, that's just a bit that's rubbed off. That was a G. That was Grimes. That's where Grimes lives. Yeah. She's not coming out, though, so just... Uh... So, <laughs> Grimes is sleepy. So, humanity is declaring a 31st human right... In 1948, the United Nations enacted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. There were 30 human rights listed in this document, and these human rights are still very relevant to this day. Well, yes, because they're human, (laughs) like, because we're still human. Like, what is it like, oh, well, you know, actually, once you've got a computer, you don't need the right to, like, I don't know, fucking freedom of assembly anymore. (laughs) Suddenly, like, none of it matters. That's like, that's basically like the Gates, the Gates Foundation's approach to fighting poverty in, in, like, sub-Saharan Africa, which is like, look, we just have to get enough iPads to these people, Mm. and then they'll learn to fix their, they'll learn to feed themselves with Ubuntu. I, I like the idea that this is like jumping the queue of international law. 
of like you can still have people trying to get more human rights like the declaration on the rights of the child or indigenous peoples or the yoga Carter principles and no it's just we have this startup so we're 31st fuck you <laughs> so these rights look at the mistakes of the past to make sure they will never happen again what we are proposing is a new human like right. Like Furby, for example. <laughs> what we are proposing is a new human right, which looks at the challenges specifically faced in the digital age. The right to legal ownership of, the, of their inherent human data as property. Inherent right, human data. The right inherent to live in a society. Inherent human data is a strange phrase, I yeah, think. No, humans don't have any inherent data apart well, from like genome. your DNA. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but like it's because data is essentially just your your predicted actions in the marketplace and it's saying that those are sort of inherent to us which is a very strange idea to me i don't know if you have any thoughts on that yeah i, I mean i think we used to call this 31st human right just privacy but i, I don't know um oh they have they have a take on, on why ooh, privacy ooh. is not good they say privacy is a nebulous concept that doesn't have many robust legal protections mm. property however has many more legal protections. Mm. You can't take that. You can just sort of violate someone's right to privacy mm. and no one cares. But you can violate someone's. You can't violate someone's right to property unless what you're the police. Unless you're the police. In which case, you just can. What if that was somewhat revealing about the way in which we have built our legal systems? That property <laughs> is very mm. well defined and privacy isn't. But th that's, I mean, that's just defined by magic. That's like that's you start out the game with those things. Nobody's made them that way. To be fair, if we made if we made privacy a universal human right, then we couldn't have you know very exciting uh, websites like Live Jasmine and Chatterbait. So you know, <laughs> uh, um, so once you claim your thirty first human right by sharing the hashtag My Thirty One video. <laughs> oh, that's how. Oh, post this on your Facebook wall, and then Facebook won't be able to like sell your data. Yeah, yeah. The, the Treaty of Rome actually means that you can't share my posts without my permission. It's a boomer meme startup. It is. It means you have to fav my posts, actually. Once you claim your 31st human right, you'll receive a title for your digital data declaring it as your property. Because again, what we know is that when you put something on paper, everyone respects it. This is some sovereign mm. citizen shit. I wasn't expecting this to go like into a boomer law episode. <laughs> well, privacy is often misunderstood. Property is a powerful, well-understood, and comes with ownership. So, wait. This is basically like the startup equivalent of being like, are you a cop? Because if you're a cop, legally, you have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> are you detaining my data? Um, so, is humanity a nonprofit? No. Humanity.co is a for-profit company with a corporate mission to help millions of people around the world claim their data as their property, have control around how their data is used, and then receive fair market compensation for use of their data. Okay, again, if you're a for-profit company, that is not what your mission is! Your <laughs> mission is to make money for your shield! Anyway, anyway. Okay. I, can't, I can't get that angry this early in the episode. Yeah, you gotta simmer down a little bit. Yeah, you yeah. gotta breathe. Let's all do yoga, take a yoga break. God. Listener, take a yoga break. If you're at your desk, do a little stretch. Sorry, that, that, was, al that was almost as bad as fucking Malcolm Gladwell pretending he's the first person to have discovered the concept That's... of acting. Malcolm Gladwell, <laughs> the episode that we just did for that yesterday was so draining that it's left us hungover into the next one. Uh, expect this on Thursday uh, in the Patreon. Patreon, Patreon. But none of us are as hungover as my girlfriend who's asleep on the office sofa. <laughs> so, 
Wait, so what does this mean, claiming your data is your property? The My31 app is a tool that powers a movement for people to own their data as property. Anyone who claims their data as their property on our app, which is free, will get a digital title of ownership to their data, which is just like the title to a car or a house. Right now, we are focusing exclusively on medical data. So like what if they if they're a for-profit company, but you can their their service they provide to you is free? How the ding-dang heck do they make money, Nick? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they sell that data to somebody. <gasps> no. It couldn't be that. <laughs> could, no, that doesn't sound reasonable. I'm pretty sh- I, I think they make money with some side business, like a lemonade stand or something. <laughs> oh, like Barone Sanitation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although, actually, hang on a minute, though. I mean, who doesn't own their medical data? I'm pretty sure there's a lot yeah, of regulations about your medical is. data. Yeah, yeah Especially well, in the US, weirdly. Like, HIPAA is actually quite comprehensive. Yeah, and so that's like if you like here's the thing, that's why this startup exists. It exists because like most startups that are disruptive, it exists to circumvent an existing protection. Amazing. Uh, Under the guise of giving you somehow more protection. Yeah. So it like taking back control in some way. Mm. Interesting. So they use this consent as a service model. That's what they call it, consent as a service. Um, wow! Extracting medical <laughs> Brian Singer. <laughs> extracting, extra- yeah, uh, extracting medical information from users who consent for privacy and then authorize for permitted use. So essentially, the idea is, um, we want we, we there's all of this personal data has been this amazing treasure trove of money for marketers. We think we can do the same with medical data, but we need people to actively consent to give it to us so we can sell it on. So what we're doing is we're putting this because there's a reason they use the frame of property right because property property is something you can buy and sell and in a capitalist system people with like capital has the ability to command property so essentially what they're it's it's a deal with the devil except the devil has a double digit iq basically (laughs) it is the vampire trying to like finagle their way into being invited in (laughs) <laughs> come on there's I, definitely a come town bit about like the mentally impaired devil like that's definitely it's, it's, like, it's the the vampire the vampire is like come on if you let me in i can show you the power of this cutco knife <laughs> it slices <laughs> it dices um i want to suck uh, your dick yes, honestly the, nothing else <laughs> yes milo the, the vampire who wants to suck your dick Indeed. and also have your data <laughs> count count fuckula <laughs> anyway. christ most people who have a data privacy conversation are either having it from a pro-consumer perspective or a pro-corporate perspective, says Humanity CEO Richie Atwaru. Corporations give free services to consumers in exchange for monetizing their data. So if consumers don't want their data monetized, they can't use the free services. The issue right now is that there's no choice. Mm. And of course, there's no choice other than having either heavily extractive services based around selling data or just not having services. No, uh, right, like right, Nick. This yeah, is yeah. a lot of what you talk about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's sort of the 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 business model um, of platform capitalism. Um, I don't know if we want to get onto yeah, that yet, but um, yeah. So, uh, sort of in my own writing, I've talked about this idea of platform capitalism, where uh, you have these platforms which are effectively intermediaries between a number of different groups. Um, so, platforms are, so for instance, Facebook uh, is a platform between users on one hand and advertisers on the other hand, uh, and it sort of enables these two groups to come together. Um, except, you know, it's siphoning off data from users in order to then sell uh, advertising space to uh, to advertisers. Uh, I think there is one key thing to note here, though, is that a company like Facebook, a company like Google, doesn't actually sell data. 
it doesn't sell data to advertisers, which a lot of people commonly think. Um, what they sell is they use that data to build up sort of fantastic ad profiles of everybody, um, which is why you get sort of these eerily uh, quite accurate um, advertisements popping up all over the place. Um, oh, that's still- why I get all the cum-flavored vapes, mm. fluid ads. <laughs> Look, the thing is, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an agent of chaos online. I always make sure, because I'm always Googling strange shit for this show, so I just get wish.com adver- advertisements <laughs> Yeah, you, you get t-shirts that are like, uh, don't fuck with a forklift operator who was born in July. Yeah, which is weird, because I wasn't even born in July. Um, born on the fork of July. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and... And so it's, but it's so I, I just get, I just get wish.com because um, they just think that I'm in the market for like a, a penis sheath that you can wear on your nose or whatever else it is I mean, that they make. You? Um, look, if someone has a line on one of those, just, you know, my DMs are open. But sorry, Nick, continue. Yeah. So basically, um, these platforms, they collect a lot of data. They use it to, uh, you know, sell advertising in, in the case of Facebook and adver- uh, uh, Google, rather. Um, but also those platforms, for instance, Amazon, which, uh, you know, started at least as a uh, an e-commerce company, sort of as a platform between consumers buying a good and somebody selling um, a penis on their head sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, Classic. though. Yeah, Castle it, goods that we all need. Yeah, exactly. These summer goods. <laughs> well, I mean, this makes um, sense, though, because like it's. As we've just proven, it is a joke how bad these things are at marketing to you. Um, mm. So clearly, it's not you that's being sold, but like the profile they've built of you. Yeah, yeah. The classic example being, you know, you buy a fridge on Amazon, and they try and sell you a second and a third fridge. And all hmm. that. <laughs> you want? Oh, this guy loves fridges. He's in the market. He wants to bu- he's clearly starting a fridge a, a, He's clearly starting a business where he sells fridges at a double retail markup. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, these things are quite terrible in many, many ways. They, they can be eerily accurate at times. And you sort of, uh, I mean, advertising is almost becoming your subconscious in many ways. It sort of pops up and you're like, oh, that, that is part of me, I guess. Mm. Um, but yeah, so you have, you have platforms which sell advertising. You have platforms which do sort of e-commerce, again, connecting different groups. Um, interestingly, though, Amazon is no longer really an e-commerce company. They, they, they make most of their money, most of their profit through uh, Amazon Web Services, mm. uh, which effectively sells computing power to, to different users, um, including the American military, mm. uh, which we can maybe talk about later. We will, we will in fact, get onto that later. Yeah. Uh, users who bombed Yemen also bombed. <laughs> That's actually why the military-industrial complex has increased the way it has, is that they bought one war and then Amazon was like, ah, oh, you want to buy a second and a third? Uh, yeah, they just, like one statement department official once uh, bought the movie Apocalypse Now, and now we just keep ending up in all of these scrapes. <laughs> um, it it seems like you're interested Pentagon. in counterinsurgency. <laughs> Some um, guy at the Pentagon hadn't heard of the Vietnam War before, so I better check out this movie. Yeah. So just to now we have a definition for for platforms, right? We can see that like what what Richie Atwaru is saying that like that no, if you want these services, they must be provided with this a sort of extractive like exploitative model. There is no other way. Like it, that that just seems like such a hollow statement. Um, but I want to wrap up two more things before uh, we finish up with uh, with hum- humanity and then go into sort of a more detailed discussion of platforms. Humanity. Um, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so this is why you, you bring up- me on this thing. It's fine. <laughs> so basically, you sign up to put your medical data on this database because right now, due to privacy laws and HIPAA and stuff, there is not possible to be an intermediary between 
uh, people between like like um, pharmaceutical companies and people with medical data. There's just you can't do it. Um, and so you do that, and then humanity sells it for cash. But what do you think you, as the user, get? Do I get like twenty three and Me? Do I get like a little graph telling me um, what they're gonna do with the knowledge that, like, I don't know, I have uh, emphysema or whatever? Nope. Do I get a cool ass keychain? Nope. Do I get oh. seventeen cents? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Just striking okay. out every time. Here, are, so what you get is um is this here's another frequently asked question what is who who <laughs> but this is like the meme of fucking uh president bush talking to hu jintao and then they're like uh yeah. who is the new president of china thing? costello yeah yeah well who in this case is not on first but rather is a reward token you can earn by completing actions within the app oh you earn your- stars oh. on the jeremy renner app yeah you earn company script now, Damn. who cannot be converted into tr- traditional currency, e.g., dollars, at the moment? However, they like the, the implication of that is like, oh, who would want traditional currency like a loser <laughs> when you can have oh, an imaginary cum dollars? <laughs> However, as both the movement and the adoption of the consent ledger grow, new kinds of offers and incentives may be offered, including cash, alongside who? Is there anything as creepy as the words consent ledger? Oh, God. Just prick <laughs> yeah, your it, finger and write in blood in my consent ledger, madame. It's, it's the sort of thing a president of the Cambridge or Oxford Union would keep in their desk. Oh, God, yes, that's exactly correct. So here are their plans for user adoption. Their first goal is uh, to share a video proclamation to earn some who. At 25k <laughs> users... Get out there and wet this who. <laughs> Get out and earn some we've, who. We've literally evolved from the uh, doorbell thing that was just slapstick to like 20s Abbott and Costello quickfire <laughs> comedy. So I'm excited so, for Marx Brothers startup next time. Uh, yeah, the exploding cigar company. Yeah, uh, too hard CIGR. Yeah. Mm. So 25,000 users, premium printed title deeds to your data get sent to every user. Premium printed. Yeah, premium mm. printed on like glossy magazine stock. It's you like, can frame it's like, it it's alongside like your degree from Trump University. American <laughs> Psycho, but for your own data, like, oh, is that is that bone? Um, uh, no, that, it's your shopping behavior. It's even, it's embossed. Uh, to 50k users, the humanity.co swag store opens, which is probably how they're going to make most of their money. Oh my God. Uh, no. 100,000 users, they notify the healthcare industry we're open for business. At a million users, who bucks can be redeemed. Two million users, the cash wallet for data opens. And at five million users, they'll begin notifying other industries. <laughs> so just um, notifying them, just just phoning up like sh- a strip mine in Western Australia and going like, oh, you know, we're doing pretty good over here. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Kamala Harris guy who decided that he was running a secret police department on his own and got busted because he just went into police stations and was like, yeah, we're the cops now too. <laughs> with the Kamala Harris brown shirts, yeah, more oh or less God. the secret Masonic police. Uh, so oh, that's funny. I'm actually, I'm actually a cop too. I've got my own badge and everything, yeah. so uh, that's pretty cool. We should, ha- we should hang out and talk about cop stuff. Wait, the Colgate Cavity Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's, but it's not like the, this one startup has massive undue influence across state legislatures in the United States, though, right? Like it's just some goofy startup. It's not, you know, yeah, the, I mean, these I are mean, never evil. Yeah. Yeah, Just it, kidding, it sounds incredible. What? <laughs> <laughs> Play a breaking news sting. <laughs> so this basically what's happened is lots of privacy bills are, are extending as people are more concerned with data privacy. And so what they're what who is doing is they have bills 
in, I think, six to seven state legislatures right now that are allowing for the buying and selling of personal data as an asset, basically asking um, different states like Massachusetts, um, Vermont, California. California is a really sticky one to just create markets and allow them to do some primitive accumulation of everyone's data to then act as a platform between um, medical giants and you. But this has to be HIPAA's federal law. Like this has to be something that they know is just going to go to a lawsuit, right? Yep. And then, and then, you know, um, you know, Brett Kavanaugh is just going to like look up from you know, <laughs> he's just going to like look up with one one eye closed and just like take a turkey leg out of his mouth and just say, uh, "Yeah, it's fine." Consent ledger, you say? Because hmm. <laughs> then <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh's worst nightmare. Yeah, everyone will, then everyone will like find out about Brett Kavanaugh's weird dick or something. I imagine he's probably got some skin in the game here. But also, it's like the thing where like it doesn't matter, of course, if it gets thrown out by the Supreme Court or whatever, because that isn't what this company is designed for. Like all of these other companies, this company is designed to just like grift money from dumb investors, and just it's all just a pyramid scheme of like, well, if one investor invests ten million dollars, then the next investor will invest twenty million dollars. On the basis that the previous one invested 10 and just all the founders walk away with millions and millions of dollars and eventually the company of course collapsed because it's a fucking stupid idea oh do you want to sell data about how many times a day you piss to like fucking cold stone creamery yeah <laughs> fucking hell give me that oh i want to earn some fake money that's called who for some reason oh wow. yeah give me some of those fucking uh uh keith moon dollars yeah i love that shit <laughs> well like i i, I- I think you're right, but there's also a real danger here in that because America is a series of failed states, in, while that lawsuit is pending, I'm sure they'll be able to get medical data out of like some state or another. Like whichever state has the lowest, the the most easily bought legislature, like West Virginia or something, they will get mm. a bunch of like black lung data from it. Oh yeah, like yeah. like in in uh, in Wisconsin or Indiana, they will like just they'll just get permission to yeah. microchip everyone, and, and, and like maybe a other customers will be with like stop doing coffins. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So and the thing is, it's and it's even if it like that's the, it's this is scam on two levels. If it works, it's a scam because people will get like fake money for their really valuable data, even though it's not valuable individually. It's only valuable an aggregate. Um, and if it if it doesn't work, then you know they'll just have defrauded mm. a bunch of investors, which is genuinely the best outcome. Like not bad. <laughs> like I, I've often and said, what the left has to do is just come up with a lot of like trendy, disruptive platform ideas, and then use all of that money for strike funds. That's true. I mean, Stalin used to rob oh, banks in the, the Caucasus, <laughs> but we should we should be doing the modern day version of that is just like in terrible fast company articles. Oh, yes. Joseph Stalin, the terror of um, uh, fucking uh, Mahachkala's first shashlik bank. (laughs) So I'd like to go back to platform capitalism because I think we've sort of we war gamed a little bit it at its most stupid. Um, And so we so we know that this platform is an intermediary and but the, the platform has a sort of unique form of accumulation. I want to know if you could talk a little more about that. Yeah. So what's sort of unique about it and why I think it's quite important is that um, by positioning itself between all these different groups, uh, it's in a position like we've seen to collect a huge amount of data. Uh, And this is quite different from most businesses beforehand where, you know, you might sell a car to somebody, but then you have no idea what they do with it afterwards. You have no idea um, what they enjoy about it or anything like that. Whereas with the platform, all the activity, all the behavior is going on on the platform and you can record all of that data. 
Um, so as data has become, you know, the, to use the classic metaphor, oil uh, of the sort of modern era, um, companies that are platforms are basically the oil rigs of the modern era. Um, so this is why all the most valuable companies in the world right now are effectively platforms of some some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, Apple might be a sort of exception because they're, I mean, Apple is, they sell luxury goods. That's effectively their business model. Although even they are starting to change now uh, because everybody has bought, you know, 50 iPhones and doesn't need another one. Um, so they're they're moving towards a more platform-based model as well. But yeah, the idea here is to collect as much data as possible, use it to... Uh, improve the business, cut off competitors, gain a monopoly position, uh, and then just dominate the market. Yeah. I've been saying for years that that's just Metal Gear Solid 2, and it predicted (laughs) this. Um, but I, I have this, I have this feeling, right? Where every time I hear that phrase, the data being the new oil, I sort of, I rankle a little bit because like oil may be destroying the planet, but like at least it's involved in the production of something. At best, what it seems you're able to do with data is model behavior and induce consumption. Mm. So it's like it's it's it, for someone saying data is the new oil, they have to think that like production and consumption are the same because they're bo- both just these generic forms of value, which is just out there. But they're demonstrably not like production and consumption are distinct activities. And to say that data is the same as oil is to conflate the two, which I which I think is kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think if you look at what data is being used for right now, it is entirely for marketing. So mm. it's, you know, it might be a recommendation algorithm on Amazon. It might be, you know, better advertising on on Facebook, um, but it's entirely used just to sell you more stuff. Um, and it's sort of interesting. You look at sort of pre-2008, you had all these smart people going into finance. So, you know, you do a physics degree and you could be studying, say, black holes or something, but instead you realize you can make more money on Wall Street, so you go do that. Uh, and a huge waste of intellectual like resources just poured into making stupid money for people on Wall Street. After 2008... Podcasters <laughs> tug at their collars. <laughs> <laughs> Podcasters with elite university degrees <laughs> just like sweating in, a, in our studio. Yeah, in an unrelated subject. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but now they're in tech. Yeah, exactly. They're in, they're in ad tech in particular. I mean, the, the huge amount of resources poured into just developing uh, more and more sophisticated and quicker ways to give you ads. It's just incredible. Um, it, it's an absolute waste of human effort and, and resources. When you really think about it, like because I, I, we talked about this a while ago, right? Where approximately 40% of the sort of mainstream of the US economy is a, some combination of big tech, which is mostly selling ad space. And then finance, which is lending you money to buy stuff. Like 40% of the US economy is essentially fraudulent. Yeah, because we don't do production. Like it it is all consumption. That's where the oil thing comes in. Because production just gets siloed off to somewhere else where they make the things and they can run things authoritarianly. Yes, more or less. (laughs) The guys who learn their work ethic from making rice. uh, That's the imperial assumption, yeah. Milo, that episode comes out in two days. Okay, that's a reference to a bonus episode. I'm not making a racist comment. It's it's actually a quote of racist comment Malcolm Gladwell makes about Asian people. Uh, So subscribe to the Patreon and prove I'm not a racist to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) It's also quite revealing because that is the sort of the world, that's the foreign policy of capital, right? Is that you can just offshore all of this production and the domestic economy that with the quote unquote people that matter in it is just a series of like short-term frauds yeah well, yeah. how because how do you unionize consumers 
How do you unionize people whose job is basically to look at ads and shop? You, One word, only, mum's net. <laughs> essentially, your only option is like brand loyalty there. And that's insane. Well, I mean, that's the strategy of the of the Democratic Party is essentially brand lo- loyalty to the Democratic Party brand rather than loyalty to some yeah, kind we, of class consciousness. We love a politics that is the uh, early to mid 2000s gamer webcomic console wars. So back to the back to platforms, though, um, what is it's also like you hear people say like that you generate more value for companies by posting on Facebook and looking at ads and stuff than working at your job. But you don't necessarily agree with this. Yeah. So it's it's somewhat of a complicated issue. And I don't want to get into too much yeah. like Marxology here. But um, the, the classic sort of idea in, in Marx is, you know, there's there's productive labor and then there's unproductive labor. Uh, productive labor is you know, what we've been talking about manufacturing traditionally, um, but often it's anything that has to do with wage labor and sort of capitalist control over the production process. That has to do with productive labor. It creates value of some sort. Um, the real question here is, does you know sharing a meme on Facebook, does that actually produce value in any sense? Mm. Um, it produces data, that's for sure, but does it actually produce a value which we would um, ascribe to, say, the production of a car? Uh, and Depends I, I how think, dank no. the meme is, Nick. That's the, <laughs> that, you know, well, that's a good point, yeah. Can yeah. one measure dankness? <laughs> yeah, up to about 17 cents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and <laughs> Around here, we let the faves do the talking. Think, so really what we can say, right, what we can say is that, like, the platforms represent an explosion of exploitative but unproductive labor. Yeah. So if you look at a sort of traditional, again, Marxist analysis, advertising was not a productive thing. It was entirely designed just to sell the goods that have already been produced. So it doesn't actually produce more value. It just sort of uh, concretizes the value that already exists. Mm. Um, And I think that's what we see now. Facebook and Google, they are advertising companies first and foremost. Um, I think Facebook is like 96% of its money comes from advertising. Mm. Uh, something like Snapchat, 100% of its money comes from advertising. Um, these aren't productive companies in any traditional sense. And what they do, but, and so what we, we have essentially made, again, a deal. We've made a very stupid deal with the devil where, yes, we may have these extremely invasive, um, these extremely invasive like, platform monopolists, but also we don't get anything from it. So great. Yeah. Um, I suppose th- this is just a genuine question um, when it comes to, I mean, obviously a lot of advertising is advertising bullshit that people don't need and that's why it's so heavily advertised. But I guess in a sense, like there's a reason why advertising exists in that like it's not a completely, it's not a completely economically useless phenomenon in the sense that like if you have produced a genuinely good and useful product, people still need to know that it exists. So there is kind of like, it's like one of those things that kind of like lubricates even like, a, a let's say we have a hypothetically sane economy where the products are all useful advertising would still probably exist because people would need to know that there's a new thing that might be used. Yes, but it's not productive in the the Marxist sense of like extracting surplus labor value, right? It doesn't actually create something that can be sold or whatever. Also, Milo, what you're basically describing as well is like late 19th century advertising where it just very verbosely yeah, and curly like script a box yeah. of dildos for sale <laughs> <laughs> but uh, dildos for sale never worn yeah. um, <laughs> right but so the, the standard answer that what we often get with how what's with how do we solve this problem of pervasive platforms is that the issue that well, like they're not creating value for us they're not paying workers very well etc cetera, etc cetera. the standard diagnosis is up oh, their monopolism um, but monopolism isn't really the problem. And so I have something here from your article on nationalizing these tech giants. 
What if competition is actually the problem rather than the solution? After all, it's competition, not size, that demands more data, more attention, more engagement, and more profit at all costs. It's competition that demands the tech giants expand, and it's competition over who will be the dominant AI provider that leads the tech giants to constantly colonize new sources of data. The government's efforts to increase competition risk simply aggravating these problems. So I want to know if you could go into that a little bit more. Yeah, so I think there's this real problem where um, there's a knee-jerk instinctual reaction to say, well, we need more competition, which is, I would say, the classic sort of liberal belief that more competition is always the answer. Um, Between me and my wife's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's there's this idea that we've got incredibly massive companies. That's undoubtedly true. Uh, we've got all these problems from those same companies. That's undoubtedly true. Uh, and you get the sort of conflation of these two things together to say, well, the problems that they're causing are because they're so big. Uh, actually, I don't think that's, that's correct. I think we haven't linked up the source of those problems, which stem precisely from competition. Um, so I'll give a sort of brief example, which is, you know, uh, YouTube leading to far-right radicalization. Well, the reason why that happens is because the algorithms have learned that in order to keep people on YouTube, you lead them towards these increasingly radical perspectives, and they'll keep going further and further down the rabbit hole, and um, suddenly, you know, they're doing a, a shooting somewhere on live streaming it on Twitch. Good morning to our listeners. <laughs> Woo! Um, but yeah, so the, the problem here is that they're, they're competing for the attention of these people, of the users. Uh, the, the problem is not that they're a monopoly which has total control over the process. They're desperate to keep those users to, from going to Facebook, going to Netflix, going to any other website. So the result is that um, these companies don't really care about what happens in terms of, um, you say, the recommendation algorithms or in terms of surveillance. Uh, they're just interested in keeping people on their platforms. Mm. Well, like by way of contrast, something that's um, much less of a monopoly and highly competitive in data gathering is surveillance. Like, for instance, uh, all of the Chinese tech companies vying for contracts in Xinjiang right now. And that's like, that's incredibly a competitive environment. And it's providing all of this duplication and stuff. But it's all about gathering as much oppressive um, mm. uh, surveillance data as possible. Uh, you like just having one isn't going to like make that imperative disappear. I love I love being really lonely and depressed and buying myself a Huawei phone just so I know that somewhere there's actually a Chinese intelligence services agent who has to listen to my problems. <laughs> um. And one of the things that you say, Nick, is that we have to look at these not as problems of competition, not as problems of the market, of a broken market, but that the market is itself the problem. What's surprising for us to say that on this show. Um, and so you could say we could, you say that we could go even further and socialize the platform instead of leaving them in private hands. So if increasing competition won't hold big check, tech in check, what will? And so we can think of unions and public ownership as ways in which we could decrease tech's control over us rather than the assumption that competing tech companies will offer less and less invasive um, schemes if the market demands it, uh, right? So with unions, um, I often think like we need to stop seeing tech workers as just highly paid programmers. Like tech is a misnomer. Like a delivery rider winning basic employment rights is winning rights for tech workers. Mm -hmm. It's just not winning rights for people we think of as tech workers. Yeah. Yeah, and I think actually there's um, a sort of interesting analysis of different companies in terms of their workforce. So um, Google's workforce, for instance, is largely dependent on these sort of highly paid people. 
Um, and they've started to organize together. And what they've been effectively able to do is to push back on um, Google's involvement in various military projects, which is great. So um, it's nice to see them organizing together. But then you look at Amazon, and Amazon's much more reliant on low-wage workers in the warehouse rather than these sort of highly paid workers. Mm. Um, so you've got workers who have much less power, much less influence. And there hasn't been as much pushback as a result on Amazon and their involvement with the military. Mm. So I think, you know, unionizing workers is quite important for that sort of internal influence that these these workers can have. It's been a, really a great success for the Amazon strategy of keeping their workers in cages. <laughs> uh, you can't unionize if you can't move. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's Smart. All the Amazon workers are just put into like hushed caskets like from Halo so they can mm. mentally control uh, robots. So the other solution is, of course, public ownership, right? Mm. Where Because the whole idea is unions and public ownership are ways to that we can try to democratize these businesses, whether that's from below where unions like push back against their their practices or from above where we just bring them into public ownership because like a publicly owned Uber could get a democratic mandate to ensure zero carbon transport, which is in fact something like what was proposed at the labor conference this year was a people's car club. Yeah, but that's that's both... Um, getting a sort of more adversarial relationship with these corporations, which is like, as opposed to waiting for one that's our friend. Yeah. Well, I mean, mm. like, this is why it's like a fucking like Demo- American Democrats have the world's most peasant mindset. Yes. They trust they trust specifically Amazon more than the American military or their own party. Like, I mean, all of these things are are genuinely horrible institutions that should be demolished but like mm. they love amazon because it gives them their recommendations because they buy west wing season one and it just knows that they want west wing season two and newsroom yeah. season one like it's it's it is that easy to fool your average democrat well i mean the thing about um, the american military is that they definitely have uh, they have suggested purchases for sure when they've been one place they often get offered next door and uh you know they do do one day delivery but there is there is a really bad returns policy <laughs> <laughs> um so before we go before we go on to our final oh, reading God. just having a horrible idea of having a little card through your letterbox we've left your drone strike with your neighbor but my neighbor's a hospital oh no (laughs) Um, so before we get on to the final final reading i've got two kind of examples of some more of the ways in which like ah fuck me i i I subscribe to um love it or leave it the uh, positive america comedy podcast because they have the most insane titles because hey riley needs to relax and unwind like everyone else (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i I love to hear a funny podcast where kamala harris makes a stirring speech um but because they have the stupidest titles and this is because they can't do puns and this is the best one so far catch me if ukraine oh that's just really bad (laughs) dismal (laughs) <laughs> mm. yeah, a guy a guy who can't finish sentences shouting at a wading bird catching me if ukraine anyway. really hard about what can we do with crimes and ukraine and crimes and ukraine and just coming up with catch me if ukraine Yes, uh, there's the <sighs> seinfeld episode ukraine is not a game there's that it's right fucking there yeah, and yet all damn. all of these people, their all of their cultural reference points are just like box office smashes from two thousand two to two thousand nine. Mm. They are they're snake people. Um, but so I have two examples of the of the platform economy where I think are very interesting. The first is twenty three and me and the platformization of the self. 
So Kathy Hibbs, 23andMe's chief legal and regulatory officer, said this. The way we look at our business is as a virtuous circle. We have consumers who are interested and motivated around their own health, how our genetics might influence our risk for certain conditions. So what they want to do is make discoveries that give customers more information they can use to inform their health decisions and then use that information to pharma companies so they can better develop products that customers need. I mean, in theory, not a horrible idea, just so long as you never have a private company anywhere near it. Mm. For example, yeah. or- a lot of our customers suffer from being incredibly smooth-brained. <laughs> Inter- interesting that n- not a single one of our customers is at all Cherokee. Sorry, Liz Warren. <laughs> uh, I, I, right, but- I actually did 23andMe because I'm stupid, and it did tell <laughs> me that I am 100% like Britain and uh, Britain and Ireland. So genetically pissed. Yeah, I am Damn. genetically pissed, but it's also I don't know what I expected. I am the, the opposite of way. diversity. Um. Right. So, but so, Nick, what do you think of that idea of the virtuous circle of Twenty Three and Me? That we're collecting information from our customers, and then giving it to companies so that they can work together, and everyone's everyone's boats are lifted. Yeah, I mean, this is it's part of the strategy of a lot of platforms. Is that um, as more and more people come onto the platform, it benefits the other side of the platform. So, um, classic example here is Uber. As you get more drivers, you end up um, it becomes better as a rider because you don't have to wait for an, uh, a cab for very long. Um, and likewise, as you get more riders on on the Uber platform, drivers don't have to wait for a fare. Um, so there's, there's this sense in which platforms try to get more and more people on, and everybody benefits from it. Um, of course, you know, like we said here, the the issue really is that these are for profit companies. Um, the sort of basic idea, I mean, you can imagine a 23andMe, which was um, not about making profit, but instead about actually using this for public health purposes. That exists. Uh, public, the public body Genomics England, which is run by the DHSC, has sequenced 100,000 genomes, which it uses to study and treat rare diseases. But it has been specifically locked out of 23andMe's much larger private database, which only pharma giants like GSK can pay to access. Well, the do, thing do is, they give you a little graph telling you that you're like 5% Belgian? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of efficiency is something only the private sector could give you. That's why I'm always twiddling my moustache and looking at little boys. <laughs> right? Um, and the thing is, like, it's public genomics England is using genetic data to treat unprofitable but important diseases to treat. Whereas 23andMe is using this to, like, market, not, market profitable but, um, let's say, not socially useful things like keeping the antibiotic carousel going. Mm-hmm. You know, make, making a more effective painkiller. Better Viagra. Yeah, effectively. Hell yeah. Oh, now I'm in favor. (laughs) (laughs) Viagra that makes your dick even harder. Whoa. (laughs) Not only does it make it hard, it gives you two extra inches. When your dick's actually so hard, it becomes soft again. Yeah, it's it's, it's like they're just making like a chewable raspberry flavored Viagra when we have actual medical problems to solve. I thought you were going to say chewable dick. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) Look, any dick is chewable if you're not a coward. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, and these companies like 23andMe, their sky high valuations aren't based on $200 test kits. And this is um, from Katie Specter Baghdadi. Don't do it, Milo. <laughs> An assistant professor at the University of Michigan's <laughs> medical school. No relation. 
Do we know it's no relation? I, I assume no relation. <laughs> oh my god, they're sending it to ISIS, but frantically <laughs> pinning red string across the board. ISIS <laughs> knows where to shoot us. Damn, they know that we're half Irish. <laughs> and we're really pissed. ISIS knows which neighborhoods in Staten Island they shouldn't fuck with. <laughs> uh, and so the data becomes a great business asset. But there's another way that platforms work, which is I think they're very good at disappearing the military. They're very good at distributing and hiding the oppressive apparatus of the state. Damn, so, much like Varus. So this is, this is Amazon. <laughs> uh, we feel strongly that defense, intelligence, and national security companies deserve access to the best technology in the world. Because they're our special boys, and they, they deserve did. treats. Yeah, because, they'll, look, they're... If, if anything, like, yeah, they're not. They they just they get all the best toys. They can never like they get they get rewards for getting a C, and they they always get second chances. Our big messy sons. And we are committed to supporting their critical mission of protecting our citizens and defending our country, such as you know from um, families fleeing genocide in Central America. Yeah, you know, or, or like pulling out from uh, the border between Turkey and Rojava. Yeah, like yeah. The, like Amazon, such the, as from dudes in Raqqa who we're not related to. Amazon could just have replaced that sentence with the fourteen words, mm -hmm. like that. Well, it, I mean, Ice literally did do that. So, oh yeah, it's, we we it, it's yeah, soon. They, yeah, they well, they, Ice does frequently use one thousand four hundred and eighty-eight in most of its communiques. Like hmm. they frequently hmm. just reference that number, which is they very just odd. Fucking love the Canterbury Tales. That's all. That's <laughs> that's all that's about. Right. Yes. Um, a, a knight there was, and that's a worthy man. But, <laughs> so this is this is something that you've that you sort of touched on earlier in the episode, Nick, where you said that like Amazon's main main sort of um, product now isn't selling you Googas. Amazon's main project is to provide computing power to some of the world's most reprehensible white nationalist uh, organizations. White supremacist organizations like ICE, like the Home Office, like whoever else, supplying them with the cloud computing power, that's Amazon's main business, right, through AWS. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, so right now there's a... Um a $10 billion contract from, I think it's the Pentagon. Um, so looking to do cloud computing and they're, they're sort of likely to offer it to Amazon. Um, the one holdup is Trump really hates Bezos. Um, so everybody was saying Amazon's going to get this contract. Amazon's going to get it. And then suddenly Trump's like, wait a second, Bezos is going to get our money. I love um, him doing good things by accident because of his yeah, yeah. terrible Very brain. Very bad at golf. That's <laughs> so petty. Very it impolite. Rules. He's like, this is this is basically like the Colleen Rooney, Rebecca Vardy thing. Yeah, no, you know what it is? It is Louis the Fifteenth uh, trying to like kill all of the Huguenots, and then being like, eh, well, the Comte de Rohan's is going to do it, and I don't like him, so I probably won't bother. <laughs> That's what, like, look, it's like Trump is like, like, and if this was like what, like Holly or Mitt Romney or whatever, or another sort of more competent yeah, fascist. Yeah, just done like that. Yeah. But instead, Wait. we have a child king, and it's wonderful. Mm. It's like, it's like his, his obsession with media beef is one of the few things that's actually, mm. like, holding back just the most awful manifestations of crushing techno-fascism. My so, obsession with media beef has given me Crohn's disease. So this is, this is our salute to you, President Trump. Keep fucking with Bezos, because ultimately it's more important. Yes, mm. do, do not impeach him, because even if that were possible, because Pence would just, the genocide would just be on. But instead yeah. we just have this bizarre uh, Hollywood guy. Yeah, mm. Trump's like, there's no ketchup at his house. Bye-bye, Jeff, bye-bye. <laughs> um, Very shiny head. Very shiny. <laughs> yeah. um, if observers and critics are right, 
Uh, this is from the ACLU. An Amazon's Pentagon contract to provide cloud computing services is just a stepping stone in their real goal, like every platform, is infinite expansion and to take over sort of the entire government. That's right? To take Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 2, just Arsenal Gear with a big fucking smiley swoosh on it. <laughs> hmm. and, um, and they're looking to take over like... They want to have the. They want to cont- put all in under one roof. All the records for the IRS, um, or or the uh, HMRC, or fucking um, the Department of Defense, Subway or the loyalty card. They yeah. want. They wanted to put all of these things in one server. And there's a very short distance from that. From looking at, from looking at your let's say NSA surveillance data mm. and deciding what your tax bracket is based on that. It's mm. almost as though the most oppressive things that we could imagine about Stalinism are just slowly being replaced in Western capitalism no. by these giant tech companies. We're very sorry one- to report that the one server where we keep all the data has been accessed by Macedonian teenagers, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're just- now sending us pictures of our own feet. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, the, it's the Syrian online army is just going to own all of our data. But, like, mm. Metal Gear Solid 2, again, predicted this, but predicted a facet of this, which we haven't talked about, I think, which is that the real power of this isn't just, like, the invasiveness of your data, although it will be very invasive, but, this, like, the scale of it. Like, being having access to big data, like, huge amounts of information that you can just sort of flood anything with is just incredibly dangerous. And that's just going to be the future now. It's great. We love it. You can't. You, you won't be able to decide if anything is true or not because you'll just be overwhelmed with stuff that you barely have time to process. Yeah, I mean, combine this as well with um, Amazon basically rolling out surveillance uh, devices just absolutely everywhere. Mm-hmm. And there's um, no way so they can like watch all of the footage, or anyone can. It's just no, going to no. have to be processed algorithmically or whatever, and then like sort of barely sorted in this huge torrent of shit. Oh, I know what we're going into. Okay. I figured it out. It's not ni- everyone who says it's 1984 is a hack. It's not 1984. It's the niche one-shot role-playing game, the pen and paper role-playing game Paranoia. Yes, friend computer. <laughs> yeah, it's just going. We're just we're, our future is just paranoia, where it's a it's a it's you're just set in a bunker and you have fi- and your player has five clones and they're just. And they are servants of a computer, but the computer is also insane. Somebody's and, uh, adapting that for Steam, by the way. Oh, sick! Yes. Okay. In fact, playing playing games on stream, I will play Paranoia on stream. Uh, but that's uh, that's what it is. We're how we're, did I end up on this podcast with nerds? <laughs> <laughs> because you're we're, such a Chad. Yeah. I'm such a Chad. <laughs> I should be busting right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're li- we're living. We're li- going to live in a world where we are ruled by a psychotic computer that we have to figure out ways to appease at any minute, or like a little turret will just pop up and poison us with some like some cyanide, and it will say, "Here, we've delivered your 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 asthma medication or whatever." We're, we're, it's 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 a slapstick future that we're going into. <laughs> <gasps> Laurel and hard drive. Anyway, so but here's my last question. We'll we'll end on this, right? IBM filled concentration camps for the Nazis. Like they did that. They round. They gave the Nazi party all the information they wanted on all the Jews of Europe, so that they could be effectively rounded up. Amazon essentially is doing something very similar for Trump. It's filling concentration camps using by supplying ICE with computing power at the southern border, right? Does your platform model? Does the platform model allow for a differentiation between the two? Or is it essentially nothing ever changes, more of the same? 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the historical parallels are quite close. I think that um, the infrastructure to to build and manage these things is is very very similar. Um, I mean, the technology has been updated, but you know, the the effective outcome is um, people stuck in camps in both cases, and somehow well, less accountability now. Because it, it, it's at one remove from a person. Like, nobody has to actually uh, file the punch cards. Mm. Yeah, there's, it's, we keep abstracting things away from, away from actual workers, and they keep getting... You can imagine the people filing the punch cards. Maybe they could have been... Like, the workers at Google, they were able to resist providing um, Maven, I think it was, to the U.S. drone strike program. Mm-hmm. But, like, an algorithm, once you, once you automate that, an algorithm can't possibly unionize. An algorithm can't say no, except no. to you, the, you the individual, mm-hmm. right? The algorithm is just going to do what you tell it to do. And you can't and put an, and you can't put the algorithm in the dock at Nuremberg. Um, no. And uh, nobody's gonna, ever going to put the people who designed it there. Nope. Either. Unless it's like Futurama, and then you get like a robot court where like they judge <laughs> they judge the algorithm. Yeah, we, 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 we sentence it to like robot jail. Exactly. Yeah. But look. I want to end on a slightly more, maybe not, not positive note, because there's not much to be hopeful about right now with regards to the tech giants and their... Aside, the, the, aside from sentencing a robot to go to jail, that's quite funny. But exactly. Like, <laughs> we automate everything. We fill the jails with robots guarded by robot guards, and then everyone just lives in a kind of weird yeah, paradise. That, that is prison yes. abolition, is we just that's- have... We keep all the jails, but they're fully automated, <laughs> including the inmates. With- fully automated luxury carceral state. Yes. We've, we've outsourced crimes to robots. <laughs> they're taking all the damn jobs. Yeah, you don't have to feel bad about police brutality if it's robots beating up robots. Yeah, it's just exactly. that it's just that movie Robot Jocks, <laughs> keeping keeping the non Wolverine career of Hugh Jackman alive. But Robot Jocks like Shock Jocks. You're listening to Robot and the Circuit. <laughs> <laughs> but like, look, when I say a, a happy note, not because anything good's happening yet. No, we, we did know- just we did just get to facilitating yeah. genocide. Like we, we, mm. we, but we know we know what we have to do to stop these things, and that's nationalize these bitches. Mm-hmm. And unionize, like yes. organize from the bottom, and like seize ownership from the top. All right, and stop everybody. thinking they're your friends. They're not your friends. <laughs> All right, they don't so, like um, you. Before the next episode, if everyone could just unionize and nationalize the tech giants, mm-hmm. uh, that would be great. And that's yeah. us, your friends in the fancy podcast, asking you to do it. So, um, come on, come on, come on. You know you want to nationalize them. They're not your friends. They read your diary. Uh, they told everyone about that time that you shit yourself. It, no, they're not good. Yeah. So, uh, it falls to me now only to say, Nick, thank you very much for coming and chilling with us today. Thank you for having me. Um, Nick's book is going to be out in 2020. So, if you want to get it on a non-Amazon link, I'm sure there will be one of those <laughs> up. Um, so, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll plug that when it's out, when it's available for pre-order. But in the meantime, you could get Nick's existing books, Platform Capitalism and Inventing the Future. Though at least one of those is on verse on one's on polity, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Order directly from the publishers. Give them a... Yeah. Those are good publishers. Mm. Um, mm. Otherwise, get it on we- Wish.com. Why not? Yeah, see, it just, <laughs> no, you can't search on Wish.com. It needs to be the algorithm. So you just need to oh, sort no. of alter your behavior enough for Wish.com to sell you. Yeah, li- li- listen to this podcast several times in a row until it starts recommending you Nick's books. But like a weird knockoff of Nick's book that are like written in like Google translated from Chinese. Oh, yeah. And, and also, have a picture of a dick on the front also, for some reason. We haven't been mentioning this lately, but we're down to like our last like 10 or so shirts. 
uh, and we only have them in medium, large, and then double XL. <laughs> so, um, if you're either medium, I don't, I'm not sure there are any larges left. Actually, I think the larges might be gone. Okay, there are mediums left. Yeah, and there, there are double XLs left. So, if, so you, if you're a very thick boy, so if you like the show Medium or the magazine Double XL, then you should purchase our shirts. <laughs> um, slick. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, also, Milo, do you have comedy dates coming up? This is coming up Tuesday. Uh, yeah, I've got a I've got a smoke comedy on the twenty third of October, which will be in a week after this episode comes out on on the following Wednesday. So come down to that. Uh, the headline is going to be Dan Muggleton, Trash Eats Champion, uh, and also v- Victor Petrashkin, another Trash Eats Champion. So I think uh, it's, there aren't three people who've been on. Oh, and Pope Lonergan. Yeah. yeah, damn. Yeah, it's a TF heavy lineup. It's it's TF heavy. Get yourself down there. You know, it's going to be great. Amazing. Uh, and. Otherwise, like I said, uh, like I've been trying to tell myself to say again, um, our theme song is provided by Ginseng. It's called Here We Go. Listen to it on Spotify. Listen to it early. Listen to it often. And as we've teased, we also have a Patreon episode coming out on Thursday, uh, which is the next in our explorations of of pop um, pop science writers with Chapo Trap House's Felix Biederman. So do hop on our Patreon in anticipation of the um the episode intelligence 3.0 that's Damn. right folks we've released another update of intelligence <laughs> um but with with that in mind uh i think we can sign off yeah all Bye. right enjoy your commute or your shit or sitting in your bed waiting to fall asleep mm-hmm. uh goodbye bye <laughs> Thank you.